welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about the first book of the Fate of the Jedi series, Outcast, in its entirety, because we finished it up last week. Isn't that right? Take it away, Tim. Yeah, Yeah, we did, and we're, uh... About to push on to the next book, which I have not even looked at before, so it's going to be exciting. I think the most exciting thing is that you haven't read any of these, dude. That's still my favorite part of what's going on with yeah. this series. I, I, I think I read I read Outcast before, yeah, because I, I could remember parts of it. But I have Omen sitting in front of me right now. This book has not been opened. <laughs> and I didn't just buy it because it doesn't say Legends on the front of it. Well, that's amazing. Mine does. And I'm Justin. Oh yeah, Tim. By the way, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot to do that. We're on the <laughs> phone again because of the health crisis that's happening uh, across the globe. So yes, bear... COVID nineteen. Yeah, yay! <laughs> it was a year late. A year late to celebrate the the I don't know the redundancy of the name. Yes. But we're we're trying to figure it out. I don't know. Tim on speakerphone sounds all right to us, so we're riding with it. And yeah, this we, week, we actually listened to our podcast for the like actually listened to it for the first time in a while, see, and it sounded pretty good for just being on the phone. I think that's exactly how often we should listen to our own podcast every once in a while to make sure it's all right. Yeah, well, if you listen to yourself all the time, that just seems like a little like conceited. Full of yourself, right? It's pretty conceited, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what we're actually going to talk about this week is not how conceited we are. Is all of uh, book one of Fate of the Jedi, Outcast, written by Aaron Alston, and it was uh, it was an adventure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to describe this book. We'll talk about that later. First, we'll uh, we'll hit the galactic overview and talk about what what is happening in the entire galaxy, not just these characters that we focus on, right? So, it's been two years since the death of Darth Kytus. The aftermath of the rise and fall of Jedi Knight Jason Solo leaves the galaxy's various governments more unified than ever under the tenets of peace and safety for all. Galactic Alliance Chief of State Natasi Dalla, using this newfound unification and widespread anti-Jedi sentiment, arrests Luke Skywalker trying him for the crime of failing to prevent Jason's fall to the dark side. Luke is guilty and is exiled from Coruscant and all the Jedi contact for 10 years. Dalla's new war against the Jedi Order's historic flippant dismissal of standard laws leads to the installation of a new directive. One government observer is assigned to each individual Jedi. Dalla's effort to control the Jedi Order is bolstered by two rogue Jedi suffering with a strange sickness, which seems to point us away from Coruscant, deeper and further out into the galaxy, where a voice can be heard calling out from the darkness. That's it. That's what's happening in the entire galaxy, summed in one two-minute and one-minute monologue. You like that? I just thought... Of something while you were reading that too. Good, because uh, my next question, my next note is: anything you want to add, Tim? The when we first started 
and uh, when Alana heard that voice. Yes. And you asked me what it was, and I, I thought it was, I have no idea, or I said it's like one of those weird bird things that live on the surface or whatever. Right. Um, I just had a thought that it could be, could be ship. Could be. Could be ship. It could have been, because we don't know where he's at. And speaking That's of, right. speaking of things that we don't know about and don't get uh, addressed in the book, we'll get to some more of that later. Yeah. But as far as the galaxy at large and Coruscant specifically, um, the government and the people are all turning against the Jedi. For legitimate reasons. Yeah. And to make matters worse, the Jedi are without their stalwart decades long leader, Luke Skywalker. The builder of the Jedi Order, and as the, it is known today. The guiding hand of its conscience, right? Yeah. He's the he's the guy who makes all the decisions of how the Jedi should behave. And in then now in this time of turmoil, he's been exiled, and Dala is taking advantage of that. And the government is trying to get control of the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And that is the backdrop against which... We run through three stories in this novel. The first of which stars our first character summary, Han and Leia Solo, featuring Alana, the Solo Parents Second Chance Edition. <laughs> All right. This, this approximately 70-year-old couple is now raising a 7-year-old girl. Their granddaughter, Alana, the daughter of Tanelka and Jason now renamed Amelia for the purposes of keeping her already secret identity, even more of a secret identity. And honestly, this terrifies me because of their track record of absent parenting. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, they don't have the best record, but like their, their one son is dies early the next son turns evil, and the daughter is angry all the time. That's the thing. I, I kind of laid out a couple of fractions. And first of all, they barely raised these three kids that we're talking about. Two out of three of them turned out good. One turned out super evil. And two out of three of them turned out dead. <laughs> so uh, that can't be good parenting, right? I, I would think that the main goal is to uh, keep your kids alive. You uh, you know, right? for mundane people like you and me, maybe. That's like the main goal is to make sure your kids don't die. But when you're a Skywalker, Tim, when you have that Skywalker blood in you, the galaxy does not let you just accomplish simple goals, okay? <laughs> and now they overcompensate. By bringing Alana with them on their dangerous mission at the beginning of this book. She's been staying at the Jedi Temple to keep her safe and out of, you know, public eye. And then once they get wind that the government's gone sour and Luke's been exiled, they scoop up this little kid and they rush off to uh, go save Lando and all of his drug money at Kessel. He's making a lot of money on... Maybe he'll he'll owe him uh, a few hundred bucks. Legal drugs, you know, this drug money is legal drugs, right? But of course it is. Nonetheless, 
probably not the best place to bring the child. No. So once again, I am concerned for them, and I am concerned for the child. I'm I'm not scared for their well-being. I'm scared for the negative reaction they're going to have at getting this kid killed. Does that sound fair? <laughs> yeah, that's that. That is a very real possibility. I, it is every time you're with Han and Leia Solo, except for them. Everybody around them dies. Yeah. And speaking of everything around them dying, they head to Kessel. And the planetoid is being torn apart by ground quakes. And of course, only Han and Leia can help. Uh-huh, I guess. Uh, this is like this is like the, um, oh God, Armageddon. This is like the Armageddon problem. How is it easier to to teach a bunch of miners to be astronauts than it is to teach astronauts to drill. How does that make sense? How are Han and Leia the solution to this problem? She's a politician and he's a gunslinger smooth talker. Yeah. Like I don't Lando's having this problem on castle. The, the asteroid planetoid thing is breaking itself apart slowly and surely. And he doesn't know what to do. So he calls Han and Leia. Uh, yeah. Um, although, if you think that, like, if if something in in your life was going, it was going crazy, and and uh, honestly, you can you can tell me I'm an idiot. Um, but the first person, like, say, um, shit, I don't know. Your your garage is falling over into your house. Right. You could call. You the call town. a friend. Yeah. I get. I get. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe more. Maybe he was more reaching out. Like, hey, do you know a guy? Because like they probably know a lot of guys. I don't know. Yeah. But no, it's like, I guess. I guess. Listen. I mean, what am I talking about? They do end up saving the day, but we'll get to that. It's, it turns out to be a good excuse to dodge their government spy though before uh, it gets assigned to them. Which is a good thing when you just, I don't know, only break the rules. During their journey on Kessel, Alana is left alone to wander the surface of the asteroid and is contacted by a distant, desperate voice. Han is forced into the deep mining tunnels of Kessel and confronts his fears and mortality, while Leia discovers ancient beings and constructs left for millennia all in the heart of Kessel all in the middle of this asteroid deep underground and like I said Kessel is saved because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Han and Leia were the right people for the job uh, all, them them, and all of the galaxy's favorite octogenarian pilots right <laughs> yeah yeah all the, all the uh all the uh, retired people. Yeah, you gotta call in those retired people. I don't know how. I don't know how you're gonna how you're gonna save the galaxy without all the gray hairs of Wraith Squadron. Get him, <laughs> fucking, be- call him up, buddy. You know this is Aaron Alston's jam, right? Yeah. Like we say every time, he wrote a lot of the uh, Rogue Squadron books, X-wing series books, I should say, and uh, he loves these characters and these pilots, and I I don't blame him for that. I just, uh, I think it's just funny, you know, uh, to call the same people out of retirement into these messes over and over again. Like, 
can't Wedge just retire? I don't think he really he really wants to. I think he no, enjoys. You're totally right. Yeah, he he enjoys the I don't know, like the uh, the adrenaline of it all and stuff. Like every every pilot ever, like even in real Earth life. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't see any pilot be like, you know what. I'm yeah. done. I'm ready to give that up. You. I know, right? The, every single one of them is probably like, I would love to die in a blaze of glory up in the sky where I belong. Yeah. Like that kind of, yeah, man, you're right again. Anyways, all the, sorry, what were you going to say? I just, I just said it happens from time to time. Uh, yeah. Every once in a while, right? Broken watch and all that jazz. Yeah. Or broken clock or whatever that, I don't know. Who cares? It's the same point. Kessel is saved. And, the uh, newly found ancient beings and constructs that would have been very interesting to explore and investigate are destroyed and the beings are extinct now. So how about that for a little tease of some cool information from the past and then it's like they're forced into a situation where they have to blow it all up because it's going to blow itself up. Here's this cool thing. Bye. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about. Oh, wait. Before I forget, one final note, uh, general note. R2 and 3PO still fucking rock. Yes, they do. They are like, they're like Alana's babysitters. And God, they're funny together. And it, it, all it is is like, you know, R2 tweedled a beep a doop. And then 3PO responds as. As though he understands what he's saying, and then you infer that you understand from his. God, it's just—it's a neat little trick. Yeah, it—it it, what it does is it puts the reader as makes them part of the story almost. Well, it's such a funny way to give a character personality too. Like you're giving R two personality through three PO's responses, right? It's like personality mm-hmm. by proxy. Yeah, it's weird. Anyways, let's talk about each sort of piece of what happened here at Kessel. Um, number one, the best part, Alana's contact and adventure. How did you like her little uh, trip around the surface of Kessel and uh, an encounter with a, a distant voice? What did you think about that? I think, I think it, was a, it was a good little tease of things to come. Because uh, I'm sure more is going to come of that. Hopefully. <laughs> um, I, I, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of Ilana, like, one-on-one time. Yeah. Because uh, she's a sneaky, smart, funny little kid. Yeah. That She's seven-year-old Jason Solo in this world of grown-ups, right? Yeah. And she's just, she's fantastic, man. I love these parts. And yeah, I don't know it if it's just because really I good. want Jason to be alive so bad, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> live vicariously through his child. I don't know, but I think more of that and less of Han and Leia in a cave and then half an hour later, something happened. Uh, what did you think about, about those bogey things, those, uh, those ancient beings, dead, ancient living USB device? Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of that's what I thought they were. They were like 
the electrical impulses that that are computers just given motion and movement. Yeah, but they also seem to have like intent. Yeah, you know, like, like a like an AI type deal. Yeah, like they were like inquisitively investigating uh, Leia. I didn't mean to be so illiterate there, but all right. Like they uh, they seem to be checking her out on purpose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And more specifically, her, not Han. Maybe because she was interacting with them. Maybe because she was using the force and stuff. All of that was interesting. But all of that was really limited in the scope of the text that we got, right? Like her interactions and their interactions with this ancient technology and life force being thing. That was all pretty limited compared to descriptions of flying around the tunnels and stuff like that. Yeah, and it was... And like we had, like we already said, it was nothing. It's gone. All that stuff's gone and destroyed, and yeah. we'll never see it again. Now, why in in one scenario that that's that ends up still being cool is you find another similar place somewhere else in the galaxy, and then it's yes. like, oh, this is whoa this you know like how are these how are there pyramids in egypt and central america you know yeah like that kind of thing um that's that would be a an all right way where where you get to investigate it later maybe Uh in in a different area in a in a different circumstance or whatever but otherwise just blowing it all up kind of sucks yeah yeah i hope it comes up later me too what did you think of uh, Han versus Fear? That was that was fun. That was interesting. That it was, was, a, it was very good. It was another side of it was a side of Han or basically any of the heroes that you don't ever see. They're just always yeah. badass. The rarest glimpse of them feeling vulnerable, and we'll talk about that with the next characters. But like the whole time they're in the tunnels of Kessel, he's flashing back to when he was a helpless prisoner and stuff like that. And the dangerous energy spiders that live there, the, the life threatening circumstances that he used to be in. And then, you know, he like faces his fears and he's mm-hmm. like, I am the Falcon. And that was um, weird. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that pilot shit that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Right. Yeah, where don't wouldn't wouldn't Han Solo want to die in the Millennium Falcon heroically? Yeah, I, I think before even if it wasn't heroically, I think if he had to choose a, a place to die, it would be in the Falcon at the in the pilot seat. I I don't think it matters if he was in a battle or flying it into a sun. I think he just that's where that's his place. It's like it's like the beginning of uh, of Endgame, where Tony Stark is all emaciated and the on the on the uh, I don't remember what the hell the ship is called, but uh, yeah, Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy ship, and he's all like uh, yeah he's all skinny and and, he, and he's gonna die and then he breathes that breath his last breath out and it fogs up the the viewport and then you just see spectral Chewbacca appear next to him and he pushes the thing forward and they blast into hyperspace how about that mm-hmm. how's that? Yeah, that that would work how's that for a fucking ending yeah I just did it. Here's a question for you, you, Tim. You just killed Han Solo better than they did in the movies. 
way better. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> it's easy to do it better when you do it totally non-controversially. You let him die of old age and at peacefully. Yeah. You know, it's easier that way. Although I didn't mind, I didn't mind Kylo Ren killing Han Solo. I just thought there needed to be more interaction between those two characters to earn the, I don't know, earn, just to earn it more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. More. Anyways, fuck that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, we're talking about the forever cannon. Mm-hmm. And I have a question for you. What okay. was all that stuff in there? We talked about it a bit, but like, what do you think all that stuff was? I I think it was part of the same kind of technology type deal that made Centerpoint. But what was its purpose? Because Leia was saying it was gathering information and then there was a countdown, right? Yeah. And then there was like a, a self-destruct sequence countdown. So what information was it gathering? Who is it gathering information for? And why was that the end? Well, the the only place I can think of and that they ever mentioned that those energy spiders are is on Castle. Right. So maybe maybe all like the the glitter stem there and the energy spiders maybe it was all just some kind of research but see, I think I think all that's thing? just I think all that stuff's just secondary to, it's like, it's like um it's it's like building a fresh city on top of ancient ruins that you don't understand, you know what I mean? I okay, think all yeah. that stuff was unrelated. Because what what are the celestials? Oh what, yeah, the celestials. What are celestials? What is celestials? What do you think, man? And that's another, maybe, and that's another one where it's like, okay, Celestials, that is, um, say, Force users from way back when that the people that were unevolved thought were, like, angels or gods or whatever. Right, so, like, prehistory Force users type of thing? Yeah, then they just call them Celestials, this, like, weird, unknowable creature that really was just a person that could move things with their mind you know i was just thinking this this story their story the trip to castle i didn't love it i didn't think it was it didn't like blow my mind all the action and stuff like that and like um their actual accomplishments and and what they did when they were there but it has opened up a lot of questions hasn't it Yes. Like I think I think the questions that it begs are much more interesting than the events. Definitely. Because they blew everything up. Yeah, yeah, because the the events are done and it's over and everything's back to normal on Castle and okay, time to go home. What was your favorite moment of Han and Leia and Alana? Alana. <laughs> Simple answer. <laughs> Yeah, just like it, it not and not just her on the surface of the planet either, but even when she's down, she's in the she they're in the ship and they finish the mission. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Well, actually, I get to be the last one out because I finished the mission." I just shot the last thing. missile. Yeah, yeah. I really I liked specifically her being afraid of that voice. 
because yeah. because it was that that uh, that juxtaposition like Han being afraid all the time. She's seven brave years old, you know. Yeah. But she has that moment where she's like, "Oh, this is really scary, and I'm in too deep. Gotta go. Bye." Hangs up the phone, right? Type of thing. And uh, and when the energy spider was trying to smash in through the windshield, and she was like, she was just screaming the whole time, <laughs> as you would when you're seven years old. I just yeah, like, when yeah. you picture that action scene of you know Hans piloting and Leia's doing whatever she's doing, and three PO and R two are uh, flipping flopping around in the back, and Alana is just screaming the whole time in the background of it. What did you think of their story overall? It uh, it had a lot of interesting moments, like you were saying. I don't, I didn't, I didn't love the story, but I, I liked the the background and the different context of the universe that it gave. I think you just and, said that a really interesting way, and now I forget what your words were. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, what oh wait, 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 wait. Uh, no. You think about what you were trying to remember. Um, you said it had interesting moments. It yeah. wasn't. It was not an interesting journey all the way through. Totally correct. When there's three or four parts where you're like, and a half an hour later, you write in your text. That's Mm -hmm. boring. Yeah. Fill that half hour with something interesting or cut it out. And it is the, the half an hour later means they were doing something boring. Which lent to the text that the text was also boring. (laughs) Right. You know, but except for those moments, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm on board with you there, man. Are you... Uh, insights into the galaxy and into uh, a few characters. That was, that was the insight. That was the fun stuff. And with this ancient stuff, maybe insight into the history of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting as, as all get out to me. All right. Are you ready to move on to our second character group? Yes, sir. Luke and Ben Skywalker, the surviving Skywalkers. It's like their uh, trapeze name. After becoming a very wise 14-year-old soldier badass, Force Redeemer, over the course of Legacy of the Force, that is Ben's entire journey. He goes from being a foolish child to being... A wizened man with responsibilities. Apparently, Ben has spent the last two years forgetting all of that and devolving into a stereotypical, indignant, disrespectful teenager to kick off Fate of the Jedi. Yay, fun. (laughs) Honestly, right? Yeah. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with the idea that he has gone a 50 steps back? Yeah, he did have a bit, have um, a few steps of regression as far as the storytelling went. It's just he was just he was okay. Maybe it is the weight of current events in text where there's not a lot of time to be a foolish teenager when you are battling your cousin to save him from taking over the galaxy by the end of the books. Right? It's like way more mm. serious. Yeah. Starting off here, it's fresh, and it's like life has been more easy and open for the last two years, and so maybe you're back to being a a dickhead teenager, but I don't like it. No. I I want 
you know, you want it to stick, man. You want to read those nine books and then you want them to count forward. Like yeah. you got to yeah. do the math and carry the one, you know? Yeah. It, it, it did go backwards. There wasn't, there was, there were parts of it where he showed some progression. Like he was using his insolent teenager mentality to his advantage. Yeah. But it, it was like disjointed. Like there was sometimes where he was doing that and it was good. And then the other times where he was just being a, he was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're going to check my dad's ID. Don't you know he's Luke Skywalker in the midst of this whole, everyone hates you because you don't follow regular rules. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like, he what it in the previous series would have been smart enough and, and, uh, cogent enough to understand that that is a bad attitude to have in this climate, you know, mm-hmm. but now he's like fucking clueless. They show up on Keldor and he's like, look at these ugly fucks. Like he's never seen an alien before in his life. Like, come yeah. on. That was, that was the most betraying comment that Aaron Alston had this kid say. He was yeah. snickering, laughing at how ugly aliens were on their home planet. Dude, this is the kid that just saved Centerpoint from a robot version of his dead cousin. This is the kid that just almost murdered Jason Solo until his dad stopped him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the kid who tried to arrest Han and Leia <laughs> in the middle of a war. And now he's like, uh, aliens. Oh my God, they're so fucking ugly. Yeah, look how ugly they are. No, I hate that. I hated... Anyways, anyways. The other side of the Skywalker puzzle. Luke is arrested. And his spiraling trial and this time in the cell on Coruscant are the only real human looks that we get of him early in the novel is all we get. Mm -hmm. This is the only time that he's vulnerable and worried you know, or any concerned, anxious, any of that, because after he gets exiled, so maybe this is, wait a minute, maybe this is a point of order because does he not have some sort of vision that tells him to go talk to Dala? This is while he's in a holding cell during the trial, right? He has, he has this feeling that he needs to go talk to Dala. And then while he's with her, he like has a vision. That's like, this is what you must do. And then he pleads guilty and exiles himself. Right. Yeah. All before that, he was worried and anxious and nervous. And then he had that vision in her office and then he gets exiled and they go to Keldor and the rest of the time he is confident Luke Skywalker untouchable unbreakable confidence right yeah well now he knows or he thinks he knows he's on the right path that's what i mean we you know we kind of shit all over that for most of the book we're like why do they not he's not worried at all like he doesn't care he takes all the threat out of everything but you know i guess if your explanation narratively is that he has had this vision of certainty well then we're just back to him being enigmatic dude with all the answers who doesn't share any of them again. Yes. Which is annoying. Is it not? More secrets. 
more secrets. And he just, I know, I know everything. I know how it's going to turn out. I know what to do. I know everybody's lying to me. I know what they're lying about. I know when they're lying. Uh, and then I just, I won't tell anybody though. I don't know, man. He gets, yeah, it's not, uh, go ahead. It's, it's not the best explanation. That's for sure. Yeah. It's pretty soft. Unless he saw this, this entire trip to Keldor, you know, step by step. And then yeah, or he's having all these visions when he goes to bed at night and we just don't know it. Yeah, because why would you tell anybody that in the text? This is us making reasons for why shit makes sense again. Yes. Yes. Anyways, Luke is sentenced to 10 years of exile and set on the path to retrace Jason's steps. When he went on his sojourn trip across the galaxy to gather all kinds of antiquated and uh, random force powers. Understand what went wrong so many years too late. Mm-hmm. That's great. He's joined by Ben across the galaxy in Mara's old ship, the Jade Shadow. And this, I love. I love that they take her ship. They're, they're bringing Mama along. It's their new home, too, you know? Yeah. And, like, she's always there. For, for like, a nomadic family who have several homes and travel a lot, this is, like, a one home for him and Ben right now. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, your wife and your nephew definitely could have been alive if you, if you did this earlier, though. So, it's on you, Luke. Off to Keldor to completely upend a secret society while learning Jason's dead brain technology, technique maybe, and that he was uh, looking for a force nexus. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Luke and Ben just go there and they just check boxes off a list, pretty much. Yeah. They're on a scavenger hunt, and the scavenger hunt says... Go talk to the master of the Baron Dosages. So they go there and then they see the oh crazy storms. And then they have to prove themselves worthy. And then they do. And then they have a meeting. And then Luke realizes they're lying to him. So then he finds the secret. And then they go down to the secret. And then they expose the secret. And then they take over the secret. And they just unravel everything. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Checking it's like it's like step by step. No struggle, no adversity, and no lapse in confidence. Now, Which, the, go ahead. The, the, like, there was a, a perce- almost like a, yes, there is urgency. You guys are stuck, but it wasn't, it wasn't relayed to us as the readers in the writing of the characters. Well, exactly. Everybody else was telling them, you can never leave. And for the first moment, Ben goes, oh my God, we can never leave. Until Luke goes, no, we can leave. And then the rest of the time, everybody else is still telling them, you can never leave. And the two of them are like, yeah, but we're gonna. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they do, you know? Yeah. It, uh, it, uh, ben does most of the physical work in proving themselves to the Baron dosages. You know, Luke makes the apprentice do all the uh, the physical stuff. Until the big Force Masters battle between Grandmaster Throne Smasher and the Hidden Storm Lord of Keldor. Which is a pretty sweet Force battle, to be honest. But again, it's like... I mean, it's like any beginning of a serial... of a series. 
you know the dude is not going to die at the end of book one. Yeah. But could he get hurt at least? You know, could he be weakened in some way? Could he be mentally uh, adjusted in some way that makes him uh, more vulnerable? You know? Mm-hmm. But he's not. He's not at all. He's not challenged in this fight, really. He's he's so sure of himself all the way through this battle with this other, you know, master force user. He doesn't mind. And yeah, they win everything. Yeah, and, and he definitely is he definitely is a master force user. Like there's no denying. That. Yeah. The dude throws a tornado at him. He does all kinds of shit. Shoots white lightning instead of purple lightning and winning everything with little to no threat to themselves. Ben and Luke constantly rebuking the fact that they were trapped. They just win. And so step one on the understand Jason journey, they do exactly what Jason would never do totally destroy this civilization (laughs) (laughs) you know like they instead of just interacting with it and leaving it to be its own thing they interact with it and luke is like you guys are denying life and that's denying the force illegal and then fights their master to half to death and sets them all loose on the surface yeah i think I think, like, because he was, they mentioned a couple times how he was looking at the people that were living down there. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't happy. They weren't, they were just kind of coasting along until they actually died. Yeah, but that was their choice, man. Yeah, that is their civilization. You know, that's, that's my only argument is who the hell is this guy? Yeah. What a fucking white white savior move you know what i mean like oh i'll go colonize these fucking savages teach them the white man's way you know like what the hell is luke skywalker doing he's not a colonist he's a redeemer Uh so are they just gonna travel from point to point and completely unravel all of the ancient force traditions that they visit because that would be pretty fucking garbage yeah, yeah, that that would not be, that would not be Luke. Like, not no, what he does. and I didn't think this was either, man. For nah. him to be like, "Hey, you guys are doing the wrong thing," um, on a very small social level. Like, it's not like you guys aren't murdering people or anything like that. You're all just living a lie. Yeah, where in the history of Luke Skywalker, does he get, I don't know, so high and mighty that he decides he's going to disrupt a civilization? The answer yeah. is nowhere, Tim. The answer is nowhere. Yeah, he, he doesn't. It doesn't feel like Luke Skywalker. But now, in retrospect, is this Luke Skywalker overreacting to underreacting to Jason? Where now he's like, look at these people living a lie. Destroy them. You must live in truth or be destined to fail. I don't know. Live in truth or don't live. Once again, this is me making shit up for why characters are behaving a way that they're behaving. Nowhere in the text does it say like, Luke felt bad about what happened with Jason, so he thought he'd try harder to set people on the right path when he saw injustice. 
Yeah, no, it doesn't. We are making assumptions. To be honest, Jason doesn't come up nearly enough. No. I get that it's been two years and, you know, life moves on. But for the very, very personal interactions, relationships, and failures that these three groups of characters, Han and Leia, Luke and Ben, and Jaina, all had with Jason, that he does not come up nearly enough. No, he only he only really gets brought up in the in the Luke and Ben arc there, and that was only what did you teach him? I, I want to learn it. Jaina thinks about him a little bit when uh, her other brother shows up and stuff like that, or like early on in the book. But I don't know it. I would want to litter this first book with changing characters' motivations based on their experience of. The failure of Jason Solo. Yeah. Specifically, you know? To specifically be saying, oh, I have to be more vigilant about X, Y, Z because look how we failed Jason and look at what that cost us. Yeah, that's very very true. Instead, we get Han and Leia doing their same disappearing act. We get Luke and Ben being... Uh, Luke being obstinate as always, and Ben being now uh, twelve instead mm-hmm. of seventeen, and then we get Jaina being her same uh, undermining, petulant, angry Jedi, which she wasn't at the end of the last book. Exactly, and we'll talk about that backpedal in a moment when we get to her. But isn't that what the hell is that? It's like it's like the entire experience of. Jason falling and losing him is detached. Like they weren't mm-hmm. all at the epicenter of it. How yeah. uh, how many times do they even mention Mara? Other than the very beginning, I think. Like when they were getting in the ship. Yeah, that's like it. A couple of times. A couple of times. And I get it as well. You know, from a from a reality standpoint where we're writing a new story now. Yeah. And we need to move forward. And, and uh, you know, the new readers we're going to bring into this series aren't going to be even familiar with the guy anyways. But, damn, doesn't that just sell the other books? The previous books? You know, retroactively? Or uh, forward actively? You Yeah, you would think so. We get Luke and Ben together through this whole book. And I love that. But I didn't really love either one of them. No, and it's it's the same thing as the the Han and Leia thing. Parts of it were cool. Right. Parts of it were interesting. Right. But Moments, the overall man. was just kind of kind of lame. Meh. And yeah. also not consistent with the end of the last series. Yeah. Which is, for us, reading it back to back to back to back to back to back to back for two straight years is a problem. <laughs> for yeah. most readers, you know, and at the time, probably not. You probably check back in and you're like, oh yeah, Ben's a teenager. Eh? Okay, that's fine. Yeah, you don't cool, remember yeah. how specifically different he was. <laughs> yeah. But no. Yeah, we both we both made comments that, that when they as, as soon as they got to to Keldor that he's what laughing. is wrong with Ben he's being racist yeah 
What? Yeah. That's not a Skywalker thing. Oh, my God. He took... Ben took 16 years of steps backwards while Luke was practically omniscient the whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. Very vulnerable back in his holding cell on Coruscant. The best parts of his character in this story, realizing how bad that trial was getting. Yeah, he was going to lose. Yeah, it was a sobering rarity for Luke to lose. But that doesn't move forward with him through this story at all. Wouldn't that no. have been nice? The, 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 uh, the, uh, the unexpected nature of being arrested and sentenced and exiled having a fucking effect on him at all psychologically? Yeah, would have been good. No, instead he's just like, I know everyone is lying and I know everything that is happening. What was your favorite moment of uh, Luke and Ben? Um, I think... Hmm, maybe the... Just the parts, the kind of, the they had a couple of parts where they were like heart to heart, kind of talking. Yeah. Like like real, like like a dad and a son would. Yeah. Yeah. Having, that, those those were my parts. Yeah, they're having actual emotional interaction with each other. Yeah, and even not just the emotional ones, like where 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 Ben Ben right at the end sucks in the helium of the atmosphere and starts singing that goofy ass song right 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 and he's like that part stop oh my god stop stop it <laughs> yeah you're grounded you're grounded stop it yeah those those parts the real family moments those were those were great yeah um, my favorite moment of uh ben and luke was the tiny little bit that we got to talk about jason <laughs> uh, he went to Keldor. he learned their shit he was looking for a force nexus, and he bounced. That was my favorite part. <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sad boy for as long as I need to, and I'm gonna just wish for more Jason Solo forever. Okay. Fair enough. That's goddamn right. Now, our third and final character group, I guess, but she's she riding solo. Is Jaina Solo? Big sister, Sword of the Jedi. Another character, completely unlearning everything in between series. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Legacy of the Force, she learned the value of discipline and authority. Am I correct? Does that sound correct to you? She, it, she definitely. She was asking for permission to do things. That's right. Thank you. Now, mm-hmm. in Fate of the Jedi. She purposely undermines all authority at the Jedi Temple and government, breaks every rule she can find, while making her way through the entire book working on imposter syndrome Jedi problem. She's tackling the Seth Helen Valen Horn thing in the most negatively uh, uh, received possible way. Yeah, the most... As far as the galaxy is concerned, the most irresponsible way of doing it. Yeah. Valen goes crazy and he's like, you're not my dad. You're not my mom. And he tries to fight his parents. He ends up getting captured by the Jedi and the Jedi end up having to turn him over to the government because of Dala's new putting the pressure on the Jedi being um, 
Uh, not subservient, but at least step one is uh, acquiescent. Acquiescent? Uh, acquiesce, I believe. Either way, that was a fucking good word, and I don't care how I pronounce the first syllable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely well-placed and properly used, uh, and I approve. Uh, you know, these are my favorite parts of the podcast, where we pat ourselves on the back for how smart we think we are. <laughs> and then I lose my train of thought and forget what I was talking about. Oh, uh, right, right, right. So, so Valenhorn is turned over to the government, and they stick him in carbonite. And Jaina decides, well, we got to break him out of jail. The only solution to this problem is to secretly, behind the backs of all the Jedi Masters, gather a team of mostly non-Jedi, actually, other than Techly, all non-Jedi, Jag, Winter, Mirax, and Tahiri, mm-hmm. who currently identifies as not a Jedi. She, as she told her government spy when she told them to beat it. Yeah, get out of here. I'm not a Jedi and Suck I brick, don't fall kid. under your purview. Yeah, exactly. So, Jaina breaks all the rules, does everything in secret, and at the end of her journey, she ends up with not Vale and Horn, but Seth Helen in custody in the basement of the Jedi Temple in a, in a medical room. And now she has inadvertently involved Master Silgal. And here's what I'm thinking. That having, having by the end of the book dragged a master into all of her rule breaking and secret keeping, I think that's going to, that's going to uh, surface and be a major dividing factor for the Jedi Order. Yeah, the... You're going to see, I think, Kent Hamner and maybe a couple of the others, um, of the other masters. Right. You know, one said, why aren't you following the rules? And then you'll have Silgal, Kip Durin, um, and maybe, uh, like, like the Horns, they'll be on the, on the other side. Yeah. Well, I think also, if it comes, if it gets out, right, to the media and government, they're going to have to respond. They're going to have to reprimand her in some way. Yeah. You know, like she's going to have forced their hand with her, I don't know, a little secret underground rebellion against the government. It's definitely going to come back and bite the Jedi in the ass. Yeah. They're going to be like they, like the Baron Doe Sage was saying, you're all going to be in chains. You're all going to have trackers or whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, Jaina, that's her. That's her book, man. Selfish. She uh, she spends time with Jag so that we uh, get a better glimpse into them as a couple, which they're fun. Yeah. The two of them like kind of have this uh, dynamic going where, you know, Jag is the head of the uh, what are they called now? Galactic Empire again? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Galactic Empire. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's the head of that, and she is a Jedi Knight, and so it's like, you know, opposite worlds, star-crossed lovers type of thing going on. But Jag's really funny. I dig them. And they're great together in action sequences, too. Yeah. And they have that little moment uh, where he picks up the phone when her like government spy's calling, and he's like, Oh, maybe I'll just have to have you killed. I'm the head of the Galactic Empire. Who's this? What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, yeah. barks the man off Where, the phone. Where's my blaster? Yeah, so that they can have some more time in bed together. That was cool. That stuff's all good. But otherwise, 
Her journey was pretty plain. Yeah. And yeah, disappointing not... for all the previously mentioned reasons of her backpedaling on all of her character development from the previous book. Mm-hmm. You know, she's supposed to, here's how Jaina, here's how, here's how post <laughs> legacy of the force Jaina should respond to this by stepping up and being a, a major visible leader for the Jedi who is behaving properly. Yeah. She should be, because she's the one that stopped Jason. She should be the one stepping up next to Kent Hamner and being like, we've got this right. She should totally play that card, which then, you know, draws in enough of its own criticisms and problems immediately, but yeah, have something right. But no, she just instead acts like a total fucking baby the whole time. Yeah, I I realized that the only the only people that showed any sort of progression in their in as far as their characters yeah. uh, would be the old people. Yeah, well, the, the young the young people that are supposed to be learning and growing as a, as people, yeah, are the ones that are going backwards and not growing. Well, because in Star Wars, it takes seventy years to learn, <laughs> and so now Han Solo has learned the value of fear. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I have no other explanation. But uh, she she also has a new role in this book of big sister to Alana. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Amelia. And she also, I think then, you know, kind of applies that role laterally to Tahiri. Where yeah. she becomes the one who's trying to rescue Tahiri back to the Jedi Order. How how much of that is is her trying to reconnect with her lost brothers? Do you think? Eh. Yeah, um, I I appreciated that too. I, I like that she's kind of the uh, she's trying to be the the redeemer of of the group right now. Now let me tell you why it's sexist. Okay. <laughs> It's she is now in a relationship and now she is entering into all these maternal roles. She's still continuing to be a badass, right? But now that she has a boyfriend, she's trying to actually take care of other people, which is not a Jane solo thing. No. And it's not something that's carried over from her previous character development. It's just, a sexist, um, you know, A to B point drawing from her being in a relationship. Yeah. That's part of it, at least, anyways, you know? Yeah, and, and I was thinking it's more of her, more of her realizing, I gotta grow up a little bit. Uh, like, it, like, it doesn't make sense with the rest of the writing. Now, here's what, that's what I was just gonna say. Look at what we're doing again. We're trying to come up with reasons why these characters do the things they do. It doesn't say that she wants to take care of Tahiri because Tahiri loved her brother and then was betrayed by her other brother, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't say that she wants to take care of Tahiri because she's got a boyfriend now. It doesn't say she wants to take care of Tahiri because she wants to be a a, a a role model for the Jedi Order or anything like that. She's just doing things. Yep. Uh, as if these people don't think about why they do what they do. But... That role 
of her nurturing Tahiri back to the light, back to health. I did not see that coming. No. No, me neither. All right, man. How do you like Jane and Jag? Jane and Jag are good. Them two, those two are good. Really good. It's a, yeah. it's, it's very Leia and Han Solo. If, oh, Le- if so. Leia were a bodybuilder, you know? <laughs> and Han Solo were a little shorter and uh, and had the, the stiff back of an actual Imperial, not a dropout. Yeah. It's it's like the two of them turned up in physicality and intensity. It's I like it a lot. It's a cool... Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I really like the dynamic. How do you like Jaina's solo rebel streak? I liked I I liked because she's acting as a solo like she that's how she she's being a solo and right. it's not it's not consistent with what she's been doing as far as the end of the last books yeah but it does have the possibility of making things exciting as for the books going forward and she just like we liked Alana going off going rogue right doing that solo thing right yeah. Which uh, I wasn't even trying to be punny there, but but yeah. <laughs> the only thing I would say about it is is it's old man. She's yeah. she's approximately thirty or thirty two or thirty four years the fuck old. Yeah, she's she's definitely in and around that age group. And now the things that she's doing are still the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. To I guess to a point. But you're doing them all the wrong way. Like you, the same mistakes you always made and learned to not make in the last books. Here you are making them. Yeah, there are other ways to go. She could be accomplishing the same thing, but going about them with government consent, I guess. Like telling her, you know, her guy, hey. I know you're a documentarian guy who looks exactly like my brother, but you're, and you're also a government spy who's sent here to report on me, but here's what's wrong. And here's how I'm going to fix it and tell, you know, tell the people why you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, instead of doing it all in secret underground and then having it break you apart later. Yeah. It's here. I'm going to go do this thing. Tell whoever you need to tell, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah. Like nobody seems to understand that secrets are wrong and hurt <laughs> everything that you try to accomplish. I don't know. What was your favorite Jaina solo moment? Um, let's see favorite, favorite Jaina moment. <laughs> this is exactly the reaction I had when I was trying to think of it. And all I came up with was some cool combat. Yeah. Um... Like the Valen chase. And that was cool. She had some interactions with the bounty hunter people that we haven't talked about at all in the review. She yeah, uh, um, had some the, cool moments when they're capturing Seth. I don't know, but like the the, you know? the fake Jag and her being in bed. Yeah, that was um, good. Yeah, it's just the the, the action scenes because the the rest of it was just was kind of lame. Yeah, but maybe it all ends up being more interesting as events unfold. You know, I hope so. Me too. I don't know. Any other uh, final thoughts on the characters? I, I had one while, while you contemplate that. 
the sad the saddest part of this book a seven-year-old was my favorite yeah out of a book of magic wizards who are all grown-ups a seven-year-old was my favorite yeah it was maybe that's just because i love more it i think it was she was new she was new everybody else was either was more of the same it was but but you know what though had those characters not been written as more of the same and had they been written as the newly evolved versions of themselves, maybe that fresh, fresh seven-year-old wouldn't have been so overpowerful, overpoweringly, excuse me, interesting. If those yeah, other characters too. were written to their development. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you, if you um, say for, I'm going to use dinner. You eat the same vegetable every day, and then all of a sudden you get broccoli. And, yeah. you're, and you're just like, whoa, this is amazing. Well, kind of deal, right? Think about, think about this even on another level. If but, if you if you're eating the same, we'll say the same broccoli and cauliflower every night, just plain steamed, and then you're like, wow, this needs to be developed a bit. And so you throw some spice and some soy sauce and whatever the hell you like up in that shit. And you're like, wow, I took these lame old vegetables that have been the same all this time and I made them more interesting by developing them. And then someone takes away all your spices, but adds a nice (laughs) new carrot on the plate. And you're like, what the fuck happened to all my spice? And I guess I'll check out the carrot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really stupid (laughs) analogy, but it fucking works. works. Yeah, I don't know. That was that was my only real thought about the characters was that they weren't what I wanted them to be and Alana was exactly what I wanted her to be. Yeah, she was fun. I, yeah. But also like, you know, she was mischievous, she was a smart mouth, she was a sweetheart, she was baby Jason Solo. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what I wanted her to be and knew that she would be. But everybody else was not what I wanted. In 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 the majority, you know? In bits and pieces, they were, like, very satisfying. Like yeah. you said, in moments, right? Like you said. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, like, I was really dissatisfied with these characters. Yeah, they definitely could have been... They could It could have been written better, for sure. Now get this. We're going to do a new thing that we've never done before on a book review. Oh, jeez. What would you rate this book? What do you give Outcast on a scale of one to nine Jedi fates? How many fates do you rate it? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd be, like a midway, like a four? four? Four out of nine fates? Yeah, four or five in there, right midway. I, oh, we need a definitive answer, Tim. Uh, I'll I'll give it a five then. Five out of nine fades. Wow. Guess what? Mm. That's a one out of nine fades for me, baby. No. Nobody, nobody really stood out much other than Alana, the ancient glowy things that went extinct. And the mm-hmm. mi- the mystery not Jedi lady that nobody ever found out about. 
Yeah, and I think I think maybe mine is based more on that it's just Star Wars and I love it rather than the actual book. Yep. My idea my idea is that I'm gonna rate each one of them on the scale of one to nine a different number. Okay. To to sort of slot them into an overall series rating, huh? How do you like that? Would that does well, that change your answer? Well, I I, I I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave it as out of out of nine I'll give it like like the percentage, like how much I liked it, and then at the end I'll rearrange it into order. Yeah, cool. Like which one I liked best and we whatever. Did, we didn't do that for Legacy of the Force. We didn't put them in uh, in our favorite order or anything like that, but that'd be fun to do. Yeah, I think I think that's what that's what I'll do. So this one was five. Here's another question for you. Why uh, was everything underground? Oh, that that one I've been saying it since we started. It all has to do it's all secrets, all mystery. That's the only reason why it was underground. Like, you mean like like this thing that I wrote here? Almost as though ancient self-destructive secrets might have the power to tear down even ancient traditions? Come on. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it seems to be. That seems to be the, the theme is is um, Luke and Ben go to this place, everybody is lying underground, and their secrets destroy them. Yep. Han and Leia go to Kessel. Uh, the secrets of Kessel, the ancient technology, is literally programmed to destroy it. And then Jaina goes underground of the prison to capture Seth Helen and keeps him underground of the temple, which is a nice secret to destroy the Jedi order. That's my presumption. Anyways, that might be a little extreme, but I mean, that's gotta be it, right? That's the obvious subtext anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what else is, what else is there to pull out of that? Is there some kind of comparison between the way the three of them solve their underground problems? I don't really think so. Uh, Yeah. No, not really. Other than they just, they all just went, right at it they didn't try to there was no in and like roundabout way of doing what they did they're just like okay here's the problem and i'm going at it head on yeah i'm gonna directly confront it yep right that's a good point here's here i got more questions for you oh okay you already brought this up earlier so i'll start with this one where is ship it's been two years somewhere it's been two years where is ship and that was a really interesting point that you had. Maybe that was Ship calling out to Alana. Because it would know her. Yeah. She was on, I think she was on the Anakin when uh, when Ship was there for that short moment with Lumaya. Because wasn't he afraid of hiding Alana from Lumaya at the same time? I'm probably missing Yeah, yeah I, I think know. so. Either way, it would definitely be able to sense her through... Uh, the likeness to Jason Solo. But where the hell is ship? Another question. Where is Zach? Yeah. Dude. I thought about that at the oh, end of writing Zach. this review. Where is Zach? And he only gets mentioned once. Where oh, is he? Poor Zach. He's lost in the transitory mists. Last time we talked to him. Two years ago, 
No wonder why it's so easy. Sorry, were you saying something? No, I wasn't. Uh, I was going to say, no wonder why it's so easy for Jaina to decide on a boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, because her other one's been missing, and she's not really looking for him either. He's lost in space. No one's looking for him. My final question. No, it doesn't sound like it. My final question. Why did everybody care so little that that lady had a lightsaber? Yeah, they're just like, yeah, she's got one. Luke saw it. Jaina saw it. Han and Leia saw it. Or actually, I don't think they did. Uh, all, half the Jedi Order saw this lady with a lightsaber. She was even on the news with all of the uh, the government troops with the, the initial standoff at the beginning over Valen. Why did nobody care very much that this mystery person is on Coruscant with a lightsaber? That does seem concerning. They were very much casual about it, no? Yeah, yeah, they did. Huh. <laughs> exactly. Now, I don't know. Like we said, this book seemed lackluster events-wise. But but when you recap it sort of, you know, shorthand, like Luke Skywalker exiled from the Jedi Order. You know? Kessel yeah. saved from brink of destruction. And I can't say that without thinking of Phil Kessel every time. Um, uh, imposter syndrome, sick Jedi captured and, and, and reclaimed from the government type of thing. Those are some solid headlines of events yeah. that happened, but it was like, yeah, like you said, man, it was just those moments that stood out a lot. It's a, it's a good opening. I think, I think that's because we are coming off of, off of the finale of a series. Exactly. And, and I, I, I'm thinking this book, I'm, I'm sure this book has set up a lot for the next eight. You know, things that seemed maybe mundane and in, in transit here while we're reading it, but are going to really pay off later down the line. I don't know. I hope so. Cause it feels like not much was accomplished or happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping things turn around and get. I don't know, get like better. I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say better written because it, like, cause the writing, I, I, it was engaging at least. Yeah. Um, but it would like, I don't know. Well, I'm sorry, more, man. Not even more. Four or five separate times in your book, you literally write about a half an hour later. That's fucking that's boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that's, that's, that's just sucks. <laughs> But you'll remember it. You'll remember. Yeah, that's what you want to be remembered for. <laughs> Fate of the Jedi, book one, Outcast. One out of nine Jedi fates. Half an hour later. Now, let's look ahead to Fate of the Jedi, book two, Omen. Released on June 23rd, 2009. Written by Christy Golden. Jumping into that second spot in our three writer rotation. And I looked her up on Wikipedia, man. And in the inside cover of the book, to be honest. But this woman <laughs> has written all over nerddom since the early 90s, dude. She started with TSR Ravenloft novels. Does that oh, sound wow. familiar? Yes, it does. 
currently on hiatus from playing Curse of Strahd. She started her career writing books in the Ravenloft setting. She she then spanned dozens of Star Trek books, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, whatever you want. Yeah. Warcraft and Starcraft books. And in 2009, we come to this. Her first Star Wars novel, Fate of the Jedi, Omen. And picking up the book to look at it, immediately grabs my attention and begs a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. We are looking at a dark-haired, leather-clad badass holding a long dagger, arms crossed with a red lightsaber ignited in her hand, face tattooed, belt all grommeted, gloves bedazzled. She looks like a biker chick badass Sith. Yeah, yeah, she looks like she would definitely fuck you up if you came across her. She looks very exciting. And I, I, It's a good visual for sure. Here's a question for you, Tim. Who uh-huh. is that? Well, my my best guess, just from the cover, um, Red Lightsaber, I'm thinking Sith, and the only other Sith that we've run into were the Sith that we saw them once and they, they were chasing after Shith. They called themselves the One Sith and they were from Korriban, right? Yes. And here's my question though. You're forgetting about somebody, aren't you? Our little bounty hunter friend that we were just screaming about had a lightsaber, a red one. Zilash Koo. Could that be her? I think she had dark hair. I don't remember her having a face tattoo. I don't remember that either. Um, But I wouldn't think of her. This lady definitely looks evil. Looks Sith-like. Yeah. What what is it? The red eyes? That lady didn't strike me as Sith. Well, how about... How weird it would be, too, to introduce her in such an offhand way in the first book and then throw her on the cover of the second one. Yeah, here's some random bounty hunter. Uh, okay, now now she's now she's got the cover of a book. So how about that? I don't think that's happened. That that This is the first time out of our now 11 books that a character on the cover is an unknown character. Don't know her. All the other covers, you know, had uh, Tenelka and Mara were, were the most out, uh, uh, outside of common knowledge characters that were on covers. But they were all pre-existing characters. Mm-hmm. This this one might be, but we don't know who it is by sight. And that is very exciting, man. Yeah, I like it. You haven't read this book, right? No, no. This book is not even opened. Dude. I'm so excited for you to read these books for the first time. Although, I'm sad that the first one was only a 1 and or 5 out of 9. Yeah. Our second and, book. And, go ahead. And the, the, five, the 5 might have been generous, too. We'll see as the series carries on. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but let's yeah. read the back cover and see what we're in for in Omen. The Galactic Alliance is reeling from Civil War. The Jedi are in crisis, and the Sith are on the rise. Jason Solo's shocking transformation into murderous Sith Lord Darth Kydus has cast a pall over those who wield the Force for good. 
two Jedi Knights have succumbed to an inexplicable and dangerous psychosis. Criminal charges have driven Luke Skywalker into self-imposed exile, and power-hungry Chief of State Natasi Dalla is exploiting anti-Jedi sentiment to undermine the Order's influence within the Galactic Alliance. But an even greater threat is looming. Millennia in the past, a Sith starship crashed on an unknown planet, leaving the survivors stranded. Over generations, their numbers have grown. The ways of the dark side have been nurtured. And the time is fast approaching when this lost tribe of Sith will once more take to the stars to reclaim their destiny as rulers of the galaxy. Only one thing stands in their way. A name whispered to them through the Force. Skywalker. Lost tribe of the Sith, Tim? Yeah. So, she's a Sith, right? I mean, the person on the cover must be a lost tribesman. Yeah. And who the fuck are they? I don't know, but... Because you'll notice that didn't say the one Sith. No, it didn't say Lost Tribe of the Sith. Yes. A new name. Who are the Lost Tribe of the Sith? We don't know. But they coming. Next week, when we start Fate of the Jedi, Book 2, Omen... With chapters one through four. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Oh, man. Get it like Omen? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at jplazer. Check us out.